Welcome to the Perspectives on Healthcare podcast, where members of the medical community from different roles, venues, and locations share their unique perspectives on quality healthcare, its future, and how to improve it. Now, from the Your Keynote Speaker Studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, here is your host, Rob Oliver. Thank you, and welcome to another edition of Perspectives on Healthcare. Today is another patient interview. It's with Rebecca Oliver Nesbitt. It is a special interview because she is my sister, and I am excited to share her thoughts with you. She joins us from San Antonio, Texas, and without any further ado, here is my interview with my sister, Rebecca Nesbitt. It is number 18 in the series. Enjoy. Well, if you, if you look who has joined me now, I, please let everyone know what your name is. <laughs> I'm Rebecca Oliver Nesbitt. And wh- where do you live, Rebecca? I'm in San Antonio, Texas, speaking to you from there. And I think the most important thing for everybody to know up front is that I happen to have a brother that's your keynote speaker. Um, that you do. I am proud to be your older brother and uh, so delighted that you were willing and able to join me for this podcast. It's been a fantastic experience. Um, I will just, this this doesn't mean anything to most other people on here, but the witness for, one of the witnesses for my podcast right now is uh, Mary Fran Smith. So you better wave hello to her. Oh, um, hello, Mary Fran Smith. Yeah, so there uh, you go. So nice. Um, Wonderful. So let's do this. Um, we have we've dispensed with the niceties, and we're now going, jumping into the the heart of what is happening. Uh, so tell me uh, briefly a little bit about yourself and about your experiences in the healthcare system. So I'm um, a mom of three. I'm a wife. Very thankful to be happily married. And um, as as far as healthcare goes um we we in our home we had a mom with a lot of health challenges as we grew up um you had some health challenges um i had my own health challenges and then especially um when when your injury happened um that was a big push forward in healthcare for me um all of that led me to want to study to be a nurse and i got my bsn from villanova university um and yeah, yay for Villanova. And um, so I, I worked because of actually your injury and the connections that we have. I worked at McGee Rehab Hospital in uh, physical rehab, brain injury, spinal cord injury. Um, at that time, they called the other unit a mixed disabilities unit. I don't know what they would say now. Um, orthopedics, Gillian Beret, like that. Um, and then, of course, you know, your own health issues as you go along, some chronic back issues, kids are born. Fast forward to the more fun things. We have a daughter who's an occupational therapy assistant, a son who's in nursing school, and our youngest son is in high school, um, and he's in a school that actually is for students who hope to pursue a medical career. So um, kind of lots of experience on both sides. We, My husband and I dedicate our full time, as you well know, to sharing the Bible with others, to missions work. That took us to Mexico for 16 years ago for about 14 years we've been two years now in san antonio 
And um, we learned a lot as well there from times the kids had to go to the ER, some different health crisis we had um, watching and going through with people that we love there their health situations and understanding a little bit more about healthcare in a third world country. Um, that, that's a big part of our experience as well. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the Mexican healthcare system? Yeah. So I, as you well know, wouldn't be any kind of expert just, um, you know, from our own personal experiences, I can speak from that. Um, I think actually this kind of, jumps ahead to maybe something that we'll touch on later, but um, I think there's some real challenges there as far as healthcare being equally available to all. Um, there's there's private pay insurance and you can get very good healthcare, well-trained professionals. Many people fall into the category of a government-based insurance, which is a reasonable care. Many times it's good, it's a little hit or miss, but then there's a lot of people that are left to, they would have called it the regional hospital and it's where you go if you don't have anywhere else to go. And I think sometimes people fear more going in there and not coming out than anything else. Very, very challenging for people. So it, is the regional hospital kind of, would that be like a community hospital here where it's it's um, a little bit, it's it's a little bit lower level of care. Um, talk to me about what that regional hospital means, please. I, I, I want to be very respectful because I'm sure there's a lot of people there that have studied and take their job to heart. They just don't have the resources available. Um, in Mexican, in the hospital in Mexico in general, one thing that's very different is that you don't have always the adequate nursing staff. So you must always have in any hospital, one family member with present with the patient at all times, 24 hours a day. So it's a real challenge for, for family dynamics because people are in a situation where now all of a sudden they're covering days and days of 24 hours in the hospital and they do a lot of the basic nursing care for their family members. Um, and in the regional hospital, particularly so, um, the family does a lot of the care, maybe at a place like that, if there may not be medicine available that your family member needs. So the family's trying to pool their resources to go and get that medicine for the person. Um, many times there's very limited visiting hours. So people are waiting outside in the hot sun for maybe the hour that they're allowed to go inside to visit their family members. So a very, very challenging place and, and scary for people. Okay. Um pardon my ignorance on this but like what is the what is the payer situation in with the healthcare system in mexico is there insurance is it private pay it like is it like does the bill fall on you like how does that work so from my own understanding just from having lived there and having chatted with people my my understanding is that there's essentially the three three it breaks down into three categories the first category are those that would have a private pay insurance or would be just paying out of their own pocket, which is something that we would have done because we didn't have any um, any kind of insurance there to speak of. So you can either pay for your own care or you may have a third party payer. That's one group. Those are good hospitals, private hospitals, the, the, the upper tier, you might say, of hospitals. The middle section are those that have government insurance, it's called the Seguro Social. 
and it's government insurance through their work. And that's something that people work. It's a very big perk in a job if you can get that because you basically have access to your medications and to all of your doctor's visits that I, I'm not 100% sure, but I believe they're, if not totally covered, they're mostly covered by the government. Now, mind you, that has you waiting in lines. And they say in Spanish, doing vueltas, which means going around and around, waiting in lines, waiting for an appointment, waiting, waiting, waiting for everything and having to go for paperwork and two and three you know, visits to get anything done. Um, so that's the middle group. The third group would be those that don't have access to either of the other two. And they would be the ones, they might be in the regional hospital or for a lot of their healthcare needs, they're talking to their neighbor. And a lot of medications in Mexico do not require a prescription. Only recently do antibiotics require a prescription, but other than those blood pressure medications, a lot of pain meds, most things you can get over the counter. So people, oh, I think I have high blood pressure. My neighbor said that she took this for her blood pressure. So I'm going to try to take that. So you have a lot of very scary things happening because people are just doing, they don't have access to the care. So they're just doing what their neighbor said or their brother said worked for them. And that that's when you're there as a healthcare worker and you're talking to people, you're thinking, oh my, yeah, you worry for their good. Okay. So I have to tell you a quick story. So yesterday I went and I got my haircut so that I would look all, you know, dude up here for, which you do look really good. Thank you so much. You're, you're not even slightly biased. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> I just want to see how you look in 24 hours. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid I don't want you to see how I look in 24 hours. So, um, but the, the guy, my barber, um, he had developed a, a sore on his leg that was pretty bad. And so he was going to the doctor to, um, to get help with that. And he went home from the doctor and he was talking to his son-in-law and his son-in-law was telling him like, you need to clean it out and you need to get some hydrogen peroxide and gave him some good, you know, some advice and he was doing it. And it turns out that what he was doing was actually harmful to the wound and making it worse. And so when he went back to, uh, he went back to the doctor, the doctor's like, what are you doing? What's going on? And, um, basically said like, where, who told you to do this? And he said, well, my son-in-law did. He said, well, is your, like, what does your son-in-law do for a living? He says, well, he's a carpenter. He said, well, okay, listen, if you want to get a doctor to build your house, then, um, then by all means, take a medical advice from a carpenter. Um, <laughs> does, does that sound like kind of what was going on down in Mexico? Yes, it's a lot. It's by necessity because people simply cannot afford to go. And when they don't feel well, it just they self-diagnose and many times self-medicate. And so there's a lot of education needs as well for people. Okay. For sure. Sure. Um, can you, have you met any healthcare heroes along the way? People that you want to salute for doing the right, uh, doing it right. Absolutely. There's a lot of people that I could even, um, for example, our pediatrician in Mexico was very, very good with our kids. Um, many people I worked with. I worked also in a cardiology office for a time. I actually meant to mention that when I was in college, which gave me some exposure on the insurance side of things, which is such a big deal in healthcare as well. Um, but I, the people that immediately sprung to mind with that, with that question 
are two people that I remember very well from actually the time of your injury after um, transports and ICU time and all that was happening within the dynamics of our family and such a time of upheaval and so much concern and worry for you. Um, and you were discharged from uh, Thomas Jefferson. That was, it was a step down unit, as I recall. And we were, and you were transported to McGee Rehab Hospital. We arrived at McGee Rehab Hospital and our first nurse, Kim Riley, was your day nurse and our evening nurse, Elise Dordornick. Both of them immediately began putting tools in our hands for your care and to begin to give you back so much of what had been lost in the previous days. They stood out for me. It was such a watershed for me as your sister. It felt like a turning point in the in your recovery because things just started to look like we were going to be able to start to put the future back together again. And I think it was their knowledge base, their care, but ultimately their desire for your knowledge and independence that really set them apart. Okay. And you're thinking you know what's really funny is um i was thinking about this question and if somebody said to me um who is your healthcare hero I, kim riley was is number one on my list and elise is number two because um kim kim was fun and she she would come in and you know there were these like gel pads that you would use for people that had that needed wound care all right and so one day she's treating somebody and she she says there's a bed you know there's four of us in the the room and she says hey guys look and she takes one of the gel pads peels off the cover for it and throws it straight up in the air right? <laughs> and it sticks to the acoustic ceiling tile um, and, and it was just like we all laughed about it and it was funny. And then um, the problem was that it stuck there and it was there for, for multiple months. But she showed me that, um, she showed me that you could have fun even through the rehab process. And yes. I would be absolutely sorely remiss if I also didn't acknowledge Mary Fran Smith. Yes. Uh, because she, I was 16 years old, was in the hospital was was feeling very sick and she is one of the people that that came to my defense and um showed that human compassion that says yes here's here's a kid who's sick and he needs he needs to feel better he needs to do better he needs to be able to get back to doing what he loves and to doing what he needs and uh, it's for that reason that i maintain a relationship with her to this day because yes. uh, of that support and you know, to me, that's somebody who was definitely doing it right. Um, and well, the very, I'm sorry. I, and I don't say that just because she's witnessing right now. I say that because I mean it from the bottom of my heart. Yes. And I think the very fact that you could tell me this many years later, Mary Fran is here and I know exactly who you mean. And that I remember as well, her care and the fact that she would show up today only supports what you're saying as being true. Yep. She's the bomb. Shout um, out to you, Mary Fran. <laughs> so, all right. Um, tell me, what does quality healthcare mean to you? So, I was I 
I think there's, you could probably write a thesis on that, right? And I say you, because I wouldn't be capable of such things. There's a lot of things you could say. I think my, my thoughts on that are rooted maybe in more of the international aspect of our healthcare background. And I think just the, the accessibility of care to people um, that, you know, as I was mentioning before, so many people on their own with their care, guiding their own care because they simply do not have the accessibility to it. That's a greatly limiting factor. The affordability of it, um, it's tied in with the same thing. Also, our personal experience, we're considered to be self-employed. So we've always had a challenge to have good healthcare coverage. And so we find ourselves many times skipping out on certain things because they're not they're not covered. And so we simply don't do those things. And at times we're in arrears with some of our follow-up necessities for the same reason. So that's part of that package. I think just simply simple competency, you know, when you're, we've heard many, many times of recommendations that are given to patients that you're thinking that is, that's not going to be the thing that helps you. Um, so just well-trained professionals, those are all very fundamental. We would consider, I think, in a country like the United States, but those are not things that we can take for granted because we're among a very blessed people that have access to that kind of competent care. Yeah. Um, just that idea of having to make choices about your health based on finances, you know, and there are people who talk about this having to choose between, you know, between eating ramen all week and getting your medication to, um, you know, choosing to eat a little bit better and not be able to afford your medication. Those, those are very difficult decisions that we're asking people to make. Um, so very, yeah. very challenging and difficult. So, um, what do you wish your medical providers understood about you? Well, I would say that speaking to the point that I just brought up previously, um, we do we, about our personal health care needs and some of the insurance complications that we've run into. Um, I think it's it's so helpful when it, when you have a chance to talk to your health care provider and explain your situation and really them have a chance to go over with you what is really necessary out of your healthcare plan and what alternative means there might be for you to do things, maybe even public clinics that are available for, let's say a mammogram during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, you know, making you aware of those kinds of things or making you aware of generic um, prescriptions that might be able to, to help you. I can actually give you an example of, of someone that I think did a really good job with that. Um, just, I have a very simple skin condition, rosacea that I need to take medication for. And there's a new treatment for it that uses a particular antibiotic at a 50 mil, at a 40 milligram dosis, dosage, I'm sorry, um, every day to help with the inflammation of the skin. And it's a very, very expensive treatment procedure. And I said to the dermatologist, I won't be able to keep that up. It's not really important for me. It's not, I don't see a lot of value in starting that because if it's successful, it doesn't matter. I can't keep doing that. And he said, well, what we can do, that's patented. So there's nothing else like that. But what we can do is do a generic um, substitute in a 
in a, in a milligram amount that you can break and it will be essentially the same thing for you. So instead of paying for the patented amount, we're getting close to that, but in a generic way. And that's something that you really appreciate because that's something I can do now. And it has been a great help for my rosacea. Excellent. What is one thing medical professionals can start doing today to improve the quality of healthcare? I think listening. That's in so many things in life, but really listening to the patient, understanding where they are and something as simple as the example that I gave, understanding what they would like to do, what their health goals are, what starting with what their symptoms are, what their needs are, what they're coming to you for. I think listening and that extra time to understand where people are and how to tailor your care specifically to them. To me, those are very meaningful in giving quality health care and addressing the genuine needs of the patient. Okay. Rebecca, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for your support. Hey, I love you. Love to the family. And John, uh, Mariah, David, and Jacob, you all get a shout out on the podcast. So thank you. Uh, thanks for I love that. you too. And I love your family. And thanks for trusting me to have me on. You never know what a sister might say. <laughs> and I you hope you do great it. with the rest of your time. Thanks for I, everything. I, yep. I respect That's... your thoughts and your opinions on healthcare. Talk to you later. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Perspectives on Healthcare. Visit perspectivesonhealthcare.com to learn more about Rob Oliver or to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If this podcast was valuable, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes. Or if you tell a friend or coworker about the show, that would be helpful too. Join us again next time for more Perspectives on Healthcare.